You know why it's important that kids get involved in their church? Because 80% of kids across any church, that's like good churches, crappy churches, 80% of kids that have a job in church in high school go to church after. 80%, right off the top. And so it's so important that our kids get in here, and we're just uh, just super glad about that. So, hey, welcome to Church in the Wild. Um, this is the series you might have noticed that we're like painted up and excited, and it's like a New York street vibe thing in Airdrie. We'll work it. Um, where we really explore the idea of who of who thought church up. Because I could like, I could get into that. I will. The whole, uh, the whole church in the wild, it's, it's a little edgy. You're just going to have to like roll with it. Are you guys good? All right. Um, today's sermon is called Refrigerator Rights. I'm going to really talk about doing life with people. Um, it's our small group Sundays. We have so many small groups, guys. They're incredible small groups. There's one I'm feeling uh, that I just need to mention um, to you. Um, I didn't do this in the other service. I feel like I need to mention it to you. There's a group that we offer called Freedom Group that helps you go back and settle yesterday. Too many of us are trying to go into tomorrow. And listen, here's what I want to say. You got past your past, but you didn't go through it. And by the help of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and this church community, we are going to get you past that baggage. We're going to get you free in the name of Jesus so that you can really live life to the fullest. How does that sound? That's just one of the groups that we're starting. Um, we clap here. We get involved here. You're just going to have to get used to it. I'm a little crazy. You're going to have to get used to that. All right. Thanks, Sean. Uh, today's sermon is called Refrigerator Rights. Um, you don't know how many friends you really have until you move. You have 4,000 friends on Facebook and only one and a half of them showed up and they brought their seven-year-old kid. And that's how you know uh, how many uh, friends you really have. Um, it's the number one reason to join a small group. Someday you're going to move and then you're going to be sad that you didn't join a small group. We, um, we were on an, uh, an airplane ride uh, for vacation. I think it was for vacation. My brain is like stuff gets juggled around from like firemen to clowns to so sometimes i get the numbers of stuff wrong or i say you know zedekiah and i meant zephaniah i don't say those words that much i just needed something to say there you're gonna help me preach this because i'll be here all day like you're not starting the, the street party unless you give me some feedback um where was i going with all that oh yeah so i heard this airline announcement and this is so this is what I heard in the airline announcement, because it was on an airline, we're coming back to Canada. The States, of course, uh, there's no masks and stuff in um, airplanes anymore. And so we're coming back, so we're wearing masks. And uh, no, I can't remember. Anyways, it was, in, it was on an airplane. Don't distract me. And so, uh, so this is the airline announcement. Please remove your mask, like your COVID mask. Please remove your mask before putting on the oxygen mask in case of emergency. And my thought was this, are you ready? My thought was this. Are we really that dumb that we need to say that? And then I thought about COVID and I'm like, okay, yeah, we needed it. We need you to tell us that. Here's what I worry about is that all the things that the enemy tried to do to you in COVID, God had a plan for you in COVID. And some people learned how to put the oxygen mask off. Some people learned the lesson that God tried to teach and God used all the, the heartache and all the bad things that were going on and the disease, all that. God was using that to teach us something. And I worry that some of us didn't learn that lesson. 
And part of that lesson is the church community of God and how he, the, the people who are succeeding most in the city right now are venue church people who in COVID learn how to put the oxygen mask on, which is commitment in the church community and what God wants. I meet a lot of people. I see a lot of people, business people in the city. The best people in town who are doing the best right now are venue church people. And it's not because we're smart, everybody. I know you. It's because of what God intended um, in your life. And so um, my uh, refrigerator writes, do you have any friends that can come into your house and open your refrigerator? Because if you don't, you might not have any real friends. Whose house do you go into that you can just like go in the refrigerator and like root around? Fine, all y'all Canadians. My wife, uh, you guys want to hear like a, uh, I'm Pastor Corey, by the way. My wife, Erin, I don't know where she is. I thought she was here, but maybe she's going to a different church. What? Oh, yeah, it's a kid's graduation. <laughs> I knew that. That was a test um, that you guys failed. Um, when I first met Pastor Erin, she lived in Calgary. And uh, my best friend, Jason, he's like, hey, there's this girl you, you need to meet. She's, she's kind of, uh, um, and then he pauses, and I said, kind of weird? And he goes, yeah, she's weird. You'd like her. <laughs> and she is, and I'm weird, and so it worked out. And he said, uh, what's that band that you like? And I said, uh, Radiohead. And um, do anybody know who Radiohead is? Oh, we have some, like, real music. Okay, put your hand up if you know Radiohead. Now, everybody who knows Radiohead... Turn around and judge everybody else. <laughs> like what y'all are listening to now is not even music anymore. I mean, just Google like what real music sounded like. It's all about like space rock and aliens and stuff like that. Anyways, that was like my favorite band. And Jason said, uh, you got to meet this girl because she saw Radiohead in Vancouver and then drove through the night and saw them in Calgary. And she's putting together a band for Campus Crusade for Christ, like a worship band. And I was my dad's worship guy. And he, and he goes, she probably needs a little bit of help. And I thought, well, that's great. And uh, I'm already like super into her because she like, likes good music, <laughs> right? And so, um, so I talked to her on the phone. The first conversation I had with Pastor Aaron on the phone, she wasn't a pastor, I don't know why I said that, was, was this. I said, I said, how's the band? So when you're talking about worship band, there's like two ways to describe a person on a worship band. So there's like, if I'm asking about a person, I can be like, how's so-and-so? And they can be like, they're a really good piano player. The other way, if you're not from church, you don't know what we do here. This is church speak. The other way we say it is if they can't play piano, but they're still on the worship team, is we say it like this. How are they? And we say, they really love Jesus. <laughs> right? Like, and some people playing on some worship bands really love Jesus. Really in love with Jesus. So I asked, like, how's the bass player? And this is what she said. His name is Saul. He's great. And if it was me, I mean, if you know me, I'm just kind of direct. And back then I was much more so. This is like nice version of me, by the way. This is political, Corey. Um, but she said, she said this in a way. I said, how's Saul? How's the bass player? And she said, uh, he's a great guy. But then she says, I don't know what kind of musical shape she's in, he's in musical shape he's in and I'm like he's terrible she destroyed him nicely I'm like how did you even 
it almost sounds great to be not in great musical shape, you know? And then I found out that he was not in terrific musical shape. We were doing uh, music and I would be yelling back during like a live with like maybe hundreds and hundreds of college kids. And I turn back and I'm yelling, Saul, we're in the key of A, Saul, A. We're playing in a different key than you're playing in. He was all over the neck of the bass guitar. He was just going for it. I'm like, dude, you're in the wrong key. And Saul really loved Jesus. Now, the first time that I went down to a music practice was the first time I met Erin face to face. And so she lived in Calgary in a duplex with a bunch of um, uh, Christian girls. And so I went downstairs and I saw a life-size Darth Vader cutout. And I'm like, whose is that? And they said, Aaron. And I'm like, Darth Vader is my spirit animal. And I'm like, no. And I'm like, Aaron, okay. And then I, I walked around the corner and I saw these uh, Taco Bell cups with like stormtrooper heads. And Taco Bell is my other spirit animal. And I'm like, something is happening. Like, I'm not the sharpest guy, but even I can tell when God is at work. It's a, it's a miracle, everybody. And then, and then... I found myself rooting around in her fridge. I don't know anybody here. I don't know her. I haven't even met her yet. And before I met her, I was rooting around in her fridge and I saw she had a bunch of Dr. Pepper in here, third spirit animal. <laughs> it was a match made in heaven. I decided right then, I'm like, she could look like the troll under the bridge, the troll under the bridge and I'm still gonna marry this girl, this is amazing. <laughs> Turns out she's pretty hot and so that was great. I was thinking to myself, I need refrigerator rights here. I need refrigerator rights, like in this house. I need to get to know her more. I think when I look around at the city, I think you can have all the business success in the world and the nicest car on the block, but I think if you don't have refrigerator friends, I think that you don't have anything maybe. At the end, I think that everything else can be this great distraction. But then I look at my life and I'm like, I have the life that everybody wants. I just maybe don't have the new car yet. If somebody would like to gift me a new car, that'd be great. And I'm thinking to myself, refrigerator friends. Now, the greatest predictor of spiritual growth in a person's life, are you ready? Is whether you have five to seven close friends that go to church with you. Meaning, if you have five to seven church friends in your fridge, that is the greatest predictor of if you will grow spiritually or not. If you do not have five to seven close friends that are refrigerator friends in your, in your fridge from your church... You won't grow spiritually. Did I say that? Did I get all the words mixed up? Good, yeah, you better. If you're on my staff, you better say that. Encourage me more, okay. Um, Dr. Bilzekian writes, it is in small groups, and today's small group kickoffs, it is in small groups that people can get close enough to each other to care and share, to challenge and support, to confide and confess, to forgive and be forgiven, to laugh and weep together, to be accountable to each other. To watch over each other and to grow together. Personal growth does not happen in isolation. Church in the Wild is a series asking the question, who is church for? And as we explore this whole question about who church is for, I think everybody has an opinion about church. You know who I find in the community has the most opinions about church are people who don't go to church. So I have people who find out I'm a pastor who already have opinions about what venue church is like when I'm like, I finally like, have you ever been there? We get emails sometimes from people. And I, I'm like, our, our response to most emails is like, well, have you been here though? 
Have you ever come to church? Are you, it's like, um, it's like walking past your neighbor's yard and seeing the yard and having an opinion about what they should do in the yard. Does anybody do that? <laughs> yeah, Amy does. Amy's into like trees and stuff like that. It's like walking past my yard because we have walking paths there and people walking past and being like, you know what? He should be playing badminton in that yard. It's a badminton yard. Or like he should be barbecuing there. Or he should be like planting whatever. And he should be, he should have a different lawnmower. Or he should paint his house a different color. Or he should. And I'm thinking to myself, as we explore this whole thing, I'm just going to add the tension and right off the hop that the person whose opinion about church matters the most, maybe it's the only opinion that matters, is the person who paid for it. It's God, our Heavenly Father, the person who gave his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for your sins, to involve you in his family. Maybe what he thinks about church ought to matter more than what we think about church. Because I'm going to be getting down into the nitty-gritty. You're going to love this whole series. It's four parts. I'm going to get into the blueprint of how we function as a church, who gets to do what to who, what we do, what we care about, what we don't care about. You'll hear about a bit of it today. And so I want to say, when you first come to church here, and, and there's a lot of new people, when you first come to church here, it... There's something about, we have a secret sauce that's a bit fascinating. If you come from a church background, if you're unchurched, you'll just kind of love it. If you come from a church background, it will be fascinating and a bit alarming. Well, y'all know, I talked to you after you've been here for a little while. And you're like, oh, when I first came, it was like, it was great. But, and there's always like, a, like but I had to get used to pastor who shouts all the time or, you know. We're going to get into it uh, in this series. You're, you're going to love it. We'll, we'll tell you what we think um, about things, and we'll tell you what the Holy Spirit showed us about things. Um, let me just start with this here. Church can be a little about you, but not a lot. A family can be a little about a child, but not a lot. As soon as it becomes a lot about one person, we miss the aspect of the family. And then the person doesn't learn to adapt in the family, and all the gifts that come from family don't get into that child. And a child will never reach their destiny if the entire family is about the child. So you have, a, you have a, like a new baby. I know that it's easy to start wrapping your family, like it's a Canadian thing, wrapping your family around children. Don't wrap your family around the children. The children are a part of the family. It's the same thing in the body of Christ. We can say it like this. The church can be a little about you, but it can't be a lot because that's not the best for you. And so every church, I heard a pastor say, every church tends to turn inward, just give it time. And so every church person is like, I like singing this song. I wish they'd sing this song, or I wish they'd turn, I wish they'd paint the walls this color. I wish they'd, and it's the job of every pastor to turn it back out and be like, hey, it's a little about you, but it's not a lot because that's not the best for you. Church can be a little about you, but it can't be a lot. Now, um, when I see, we walk every day on a path, and when I see some of my neighbors and my friends who are Christians but don't go to church, because I'm just going to address this right now. Maybe you're like re-exploring faith. Maybe you're reconnecting. I'll tell you what we're good at. You know what we're good at? We're good at reaching lost people who are like, I don't know about God, but my life is a mess and I'm looking for something. We are great. We are great at that. You know what else we're great at? Getting Christians back in the fight. You might have grown up in church a long time ago, or maybe you just stopped coming in COVID. We are really, really good at getting you back in the game and getting you back in the fight. But it is a fight. Now, I'm a pastor's kid. So when I hear, okay, let me just get this. When isol, what isolated Christians say, I love God, but I don't go to church. What a pastor's kid hears, I love my family, but I don't live in their house. Because I've heard all the things. Every, I'm a pastor's kid. I've heard all the things that you're thinking. And I've also watched family live generation to generation 
thinking those things and what it actually ends up doing because what you think it does might not be what it actually does. And if it does it a hundred times in a row, the hundred and first time it's going to be the same. So when the enemy has succeeded in isolating you, what happens is, because you got to understand, you got to understand. It's like Jesus, it says he leaves the 99, which I'm going to preach about. He leaves the 99 and he goes and finds the one lost sheep. And then eventually, if the enemy can get this lost sheep to be like, okay, so, but it's going to be you, it's going to be me and Jesus right here. You have to understand that Jesus doesn't stay out in the wilderness with the lost sheep. The whole point of finding the lost sheep is to bring them back to the family. So what I hear is like, hey, it's like some people who, who, or you have like a, a, like a, sorry if this lands on you in a funny, but you have like a deadbeat dad who's like, I super love my family. But I don't pay any child support. I don't see them. I don't live in the house. I don't sleep in the same bed. I don't, but I super love them. And I'm thinking to myself, there's only so long that, and this is what worries me about this. And I'm just going to kind of go at this because there's something that you need to understand is that we rehearse a story about like, God is okay with me being out here and not in his family. And so what we do is we rehearse this story to ourselves. And sooner or later, our thoughts start becoming as important to us as God's thoughts. And sooner or later, we think that God is agreeing with us. But when you live with people, that stuff starts getting rubbed out of your life. God starts lighting fires that gets those things out of your life. Why? Because I'm going I'm to show you. Here, here are the things that you miss when you're isolated. You miss help. I'm going to tell you about when our marriage fell off the rails. You miss help. Isolated sheep are easy for the enemy to get to. You miss, this is my favorite one. You miss sanity checkups. You know, you get a kid who's alone in their room, who's thinking all these weird thoughts, like, I'm just going to leave my home, and then they're going to miss me, and at my funeral, they're going to feel sorry for me, and I'm like, how many times did I do this? I'm like, at your funeral, you're not going to be there. You know, I used to think these thoughts, like, well, it'd make me take out the garbage. No child on earth has ever had to take out the garbage as much as I've had to take out the garbage. At my funeral, my dad's going to be weeping, you know. You guys know Pastor Richard? He's going to be weeping, like, why didn't I just take out the garbage? I was so hard on that kid, you know. Sanity checkups, man. When you got to like live with people and just kind of get over yourself sometimes and be, just take out the dang garbage. Um, protection. The devil is stronger than you. You got to quit telling yourself like me and Jesus are stronger than the devil. And Jesus is like, actually, I'm over here. So it's kind of just you out there. You're not stronger than the devil. Um, healing. The scriptures say, confess your sins to God for forgiveness. Confess them to each other for healing. That's it. Some of you are still um, suffering the same things from hurts from the past because you're not, you're not living life with people. And that's where God heals you. You're like, why? I wish that it was, I'm like, I don't know. Ask God when you get to heaven, but it's just the way that he does it. Here's another thing. Health. You can't get healthy by yourself. You can't be happy by yourself. You know why? Because health is for helping and you were made to help. Even your body releases these chemicals that make you feel good when you help other people. You're going to miss purpose out there because you can't find your purpose without helping somebody else find their purpose. You see how integrated this life in God is supposed to be? And there's another uh, thing that you miss out there. You, well, you miss a place to use your gift, but then you miss... Here's, here's my, my big one, drum roll. When you're out there, you miss Jesus because he's not out there anymore. He might be out looking for another lost sheep, but he's not where you are anymore. He's in, get, get this, get this. Jesus is in the house of his father. That's where he spends most of his time. 
You're like, well, God can be with me and I can. Yes, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Like theologically, I'm pretty strong. But there is something that you will miss because God intended a certain thing and made all these promises that are conditional on this piece happening. Now, um, can I get into like venue church? Is this kind of good so far? I can feel the hurt feelings, but. What I hate seeing is wasted potential. I hate seeing unprotected people out there. I hate when the enemy isolates us in trouble and tragedy. I want you to live the life that God wants. I want you to find your purpose. I want your kids to live in Christ. And there's only one way to do it, and I'm going to preach about it. Now, Venue Church, we, when we started Venue Church, I just had this sense from the Spirit that we needed to create a code. And so we went to the Holy Spirit and asked, okay, how do you want us to build this? What blueprint? Because every church is different, right? So, so what we do is not like the only way to do something. It's just the way that the Holy Spirit is showing us to do something. There's, also, there's lots of different churches that we sell ice cream. And so this is just our brand of ice cream, and this is the way that we make it. We can't make their ice cream because God didn't ask us to, and we can't make their ice cream this way because that's not how it works. This is the blueprint, and I'm going to show you like even church structure, the blueprint that God showed us to set it up on, which we think is very biblical. But it's this, um, where was I even going with that? Oh, the venue code. So what I knew that we needed to be able to say was no. We need to say no to things because it's not what you say yes to that makes you powerful in that sense it's what you say no to because if you say yes to everything you won't have focus and you won't do what god wants you to do you have to principally have and so we created a code that we felt the holy spirit and this is what we pour in concrete so we might change how we do kids ministry if it becomes ineffective or it's not like really reaching kids right we will change any, we will change worship we will change preaching we will change the lights we will change anything we have to but we don't change this. God help us. We won't change this because we feel this is the values of any church. Now, the underlying value is this. We want to build churches that make an unengaged society feel something about God again. I, I came up in the trades and I, I drive by people and I see people at the grocery store. And I'm like, how is it in Canada that the God of the universe and his son Jesus, who was sacrificed for their sins, how people can live entire weeks and not have a single thought or emotion about somebody that incredible. How have we fallen so far from where our grandparents, how have we come so far that we're like, hey, thanks God for all your stuff, but we're not going to think about you and we're not going to feel anything. That's why when you come to Venue Church, it's fascinating, but it's a bit alarming because you're almost forced to feel something. I would rather that you like love or hate God than feel nothing. Because at least if you hate, it brings those things out into the open and God can deal with you. But, but when you're isolated, you just kind of build this little box and you don't feel anything anymore about God. You're not like, you're not like pushed and challenged and like to get your garbage out and to get healed and come on, say amen, Venue Church. That's what we want. We want you to engage. If you're married, you didn't get married because you're like, oh, this makes sense. And we did all the numbers in the books. That's not why you got married. And when you have your first child, you look at that child and you're like, not, you're not like, this makes perfect sense to my brain. I'm glad I will be a robot mother. There's, you feel something. This is where you make your best decisions. This is where you love. This is where you learn how to love. And we want you to feel something right there. Here's our venue code. Are you ready? We're going to put them up on screen for you. The first one is this. We believe in Jesus as he is, not as we'd like him to be. 
There's this whole thing I write out now where we're like, oh, Jesus is love. So you know what? There's a lot of things going on in society that we're just going to call okay now. We're just going to take like the book of Romans out of the Bible. And we're going to like take this out because Jesus couldn't possibly. Stop telling Jesus what he couldn't possibly do. He created you. He designed every person. He loves every person more than you could possibly imagine. He gave his life and shed his blood for you. So let's not lecture Jesus about what he does and what he believes in. We believe in Jesus as he is. Now, this is hard to swallow if you're a Christian who's like starting to change Jesus into what we call a Franken-Jesus. Which is like, hey, it's a little, I'm going to take a little bit of new age. I'm going to take a little of this. I'm going to take a little of this. And I'm going to take a little of what the school system is saying. I'm going to take a little of all these things. Put this together. This is my new Jesus. The problem with Franken-Jesus is that he's dead. He can't save you. It's not real. We also don't go for baby Jesus. Like, baby Jesus, I want a new car. Dear baby Christmas Jesus. We don't. Jesus is the son of the most high, the living God. He knows exactly what he thinks. He knows how to save you. We believe in Jesus as he is, not as we'd like him to be. That's the only one that can save. The number two is Jesus saves people. Everything we do revolves around that. Everything we do has an eye for the person who's not in yet, has an eye for eternity. We think that we think that that person is so important to us that everything we do has to be reaching that person. We also think that's the healthiest for you. Number three, we keep it simple because pastor's not that smart. We don't apologize for not doing everything. As the church grows, we're of course able to do more, but we are very focused here. You'll find that about us. We're very focused. Um, number four, we have candid conversations like this sermon. In old church cultures, a lot of things weren't spoken about. So when you had questions or doubts or sinned, I talked to somebody last week who was like talking about things like, um, I can't remember, like alcohol and like sex outside of marriage and stuff. But so many things were like off limits that, that they weren't talked about. So when you did transgress and go into all these other things that hurt you and, uh, and, and a lifestyle like that, there was no restoration. There was no conversation. There was no like bringing back. God's heart is to bring people back. That's why we talk about things. That's why there's really nothing that's off limits. And so we have candid conversations. It's super alarming for church people, though, I'm going to say that. Um, number five, we take risks. You got you to know. You got to know. I've, I feel like we're like the shock troops in the city. I had a pastor come up to me yesterday and say, like, thank you, Venue Church, for going out in the city and serving the way you do. Every church has benefited because of that. That's exactly what I want to hear. I'm like, hey, we'll go first. Like, of course, that is, we are a church with a little C. We are here. I want every church in, in the town filled. I want 10 more churches in town. We are here that the body of Christ, we're just selling ice cream this way. That's all we want. But we will be the shock troops. Listen, listen, Venue Church. If you got to come here, you know that we'll lose some skin, but we won't lose. We're not going to lose our neighbors. We're not going to lose your, your brother who's addicted. We're not going to lose them. We're going to go after them. And if there's a possibility on this earth for Jesus to get to them, we're going to do that. We're going to spend whatever it takes. We're going to do whatever we have to do. We take risks. Number six, our church is specifically designed around our vision. It might not be for everyone. We're okay with that. We have a 10-minute window in somebody's life for eternity, normally during a sermon or response time. It's difficult. We, wouldn't, we, we respect that moment so much when a person's in a tragic part of their lives. We respect that so much that we do things like we try to keep kids in the kids' areas. A, because mom, you can't worship. The venue moms are like, I can't worship with my kids hanging off of me. The other thing is they need their own relationship with God. And they need to be building. You have enough, you have lots of time with them. But the other thing is too, and I had a venue mom say this to me. I didn't understand it until my brother, I finally got him to church. 
and I look over and he lifted his hand to give his life to Christ. I never understood until that moment why it matters so much that my kid wasn't screaming beside him because that was the window that we had. That was the window that we had. It won't make sense until it's your brother and then it makes sense. It won't make sense. Well, how, it's so dark out here I can't see. Well, it's dark because some people ugly cry during a service because they're getting right with God or God is just doing something. One of our singers on stage is like, I didn't make sense why the music was so loud and the lights were so dark until I ugly cried through an entire service. Then I was super glad about all of that. Why? Because we're trying to make you feel something about God. We're trying to engage you with God. Number seven, we love and honor people. You're going to love this one. We don't gossip here. Zero tolerance. Meaning, this is what we say. If you have a problem, take it up. Take it up to your small group leader, your team lead. Take it up. If you take it sideways or down, you just, you're complaining. It's called gossip. We don't do that. We love and honor. Come on, Venue Church. You got to be happy about a church that doesn't gossip. Number eight, everything hangs on this sentence. A life saved is worth everything. Everything we do revolves around that. A life saved is worth everything to us. Every drop of blood, every, everything that we have, we would pay for one more life. Number nine, this is what this sermon is about. We do life together. And number 10, real boats rock. We're not a cruise ship. Meaning if you enjoy church people problems, go someplace else. We are so busy. I want you to be so busy helping people and serving people and just helping an addict get off of it. Just helping somebody with their teenage. I want you to be serving in kids and youth. I want you to be so busy helping people that you don't have time to be fussy about things that don't matter. I feel like my notes didn't sync properly. Um, Luke chapter 5. Let's get into our scriptures. Not a long one. One day Jesus was teaching. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed, uh, Luke, the physician says, that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. So interesting that he put that in there. And it says, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. So, so interesting that, that they're saying, okay, here's Jesus. And from everywhere, all of these professional Christians, that's what that means, like pastors and teachers and Bible college and what, all these professional Christians are the ones, they're taking up the best seats around Jesus, right? So let's picture this. They're like there and they're like, they got the best seats in the house. And then it says, some men carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat uh, came, they came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So this church people is where we're like, look, you don't get a seat here. If you show up to church and somebody gets there earlier than you are, um, which is not hard for some of you. Some of you don't know that we sing three songs before the sermon. And you get here and the sermon offends you a little more than it should because you haven't prepared your hearts in worship. There's a whole other two other songs, two and a half other songs. You can watch Netflix later. 60 minutes, people. We know your attention span. That's, all, that's as long as our service is, 60 minutes. Four songs of worship and a pastor who hurts your feelings. All right. <laughs> they couldn't get to Jesus. Now, you got to understand here. Uh, I'm just going to keep going. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man down on his mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. If you don't have five to seven refrigerator friends who will do something illegal to get you to church, you're not doing it right. They went and destroyed somebody's property to get him next to Jesus. They'd have to go back and fix it. But they're like, we don't care. We'll get forgiveness later. We'll fix it later. 
But I would love to see a buzzsaw come through that ceiling because there's too many people here. And watch what Jesus says. Seeing their faith. Sometimes you run out of faith. And you need the people around you to have, you need to borrow their faith. Seeing their faith. Man, this paralyzed man, he's been here, he's like, I don't think it's going to, his friends are like, be quiet. Like, I don't think we should be going up to it. Be quiet. You can't get off that bed anyways. We tied you down. You were going face it. You need people who will get you next to Jesus, whether you want to be there or not some days. Watch this. He says, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law were church people and just said, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. I'm going to preach about church people. Just wait till the blueprint. I got to warm you up with the other three. You think this is the hard one. The hard one is the fourth one where I talk about church people consolidating power and how Jesus is like, no, actually it all belongs to me. And so uh, church people always getting upset about the wrong things. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he said, why do you question this? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Now listen, listen. The enemy might be stronger than one of us, but he'll never be stronger than all of us. If the enemy can get you isolated, he'll be stronger than you, but he'll never be stronger than your small group. Can I, um, yeah, I lost my other notes. Can I tell you why small groups matter so much to Pastor Aaron and I? Some churches might like do small groups. We don't do small groups. We are a church of small groups. Not that we have a single small group that's only five to seven people. But here's what I want to say. You need your crew that you go to church with. You need your crew that calls you up when you're starting to get weird. When you're starting to get weird with your spouse, your spending goes off the rails. You need a crew who's like, hey, 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 let's get to Jesus. Let's go to Jesus. I'm going to tie you on that mat and take you if you don't want to go. Let's get to Jesus. Let me tell you why, why it matters so much. Um, before we came here, our marriage had gotten to a place where it was so bad. And for somebody like me to say this, you got to understand, you got to kill me to quit. Like I, I will die before I quit. And I was just at this place where I'm like, I don't know if I can do, I can take my physical body even can take this anymore. And because the enemy had gotten in and the baggage. Some of you need to sign up for Freedom Group. You need to settle yesterday. And this baggage crept in. That's why that's important to us as well. Because there's other ways to go through it. But if you can go through it here, you can be free without all that pain. And so I sent a text out to like five or six of my pastor friends and my brother. And I said, we're done. Our marriage is done. I've given it a month, but it's just not. And uh, we're done. I sent to some of them and I said, would you come? Two friends of mine got in a vehicle and drove down from Grand Prairie. Two more friends came from Calgary. And one of them said to me, you're not done. This is God's word. It's going to work. Get back up. Get back in the game. And during that time, our Quentin Crystal here, Quentin Crystal, we had a small group that we were in. And during that time, Quinn and Crystal, in the worst nights of our life, 
took our kids to their house. And without them in our small group at the time, this church wouldn't have brought over 100 people to salvation in five years. Every life that touches your life that this church and God's house is blessed wouldn't have happened because of one small group relationship. And they know all the dirt and they love us anyways and they took our kids. And that's why it matters so much to us because it's too late when it falls off the rails to get friends. But you can get them today by scanning the code and just starting to join a small group and finding your people. It takes some time, but I'm telling you, there is no life like this life. And there are people that we do life with together now that we have what everybody in this world wants. You look at our lives, we have everything now. But there was a day that we had absolutely nothing. That's why it matters. And listen, after this sermon, I've basically given you most of next steps anyway. So you might as well just watch the videos and get involved in church.